We're not going to lie to the listener. Basically, we're going to record a couple of these, um, not right now or anything, but just intermittently, so that we can keep giving you an episode every fortnight. So rather than our usual trio, it's myself, Mr. Mick Clotterty, and I'm joined by my good friend, Mr. Mick McCormick. How's it going? So you've just got a bit of double Mick action. Um, Rather than our usual format of swapping games and discussing them, for a couple of these wee side episodes, me and Mick are just going to talk about a couple of games in Steam that we've found interesting. I don't know about you, but I don't tend to go in for the negative reviewer stuff that much. I don't really like that. The fact that there's such a massive wealth of games on Steam, like, I, don't, I wouldn't see the point in reading a review, like going to the effort of reviewing something and saying it's shite, because you, you probably hadn't heard of it before we started listening. So, like, yeah, you're, you're not gaining anything by knowing that a shade game exists. I, I'm not going to drag an indie developer based on their personal tastes or anything like that either. So I think we're, we're on the same page in that this is going to be a wee bit of a little recommendation show. You listen to us talking about it. If it sounds cool, you can probably go... I, I don't know about you, but I don't buy the dear ones. I, I wait till they're 30 pence and things like that. Yeah, um, which I don't know I, I don't know how that impacts the um, like the actual developers of these games like do you think that the steam themselves like cover the costs if they've like heavily discounted some of these games or does that discount just not go like are you are you giving a pound to the developers of Frog Legacy rather than a tenner like I, I don't know how it works I think it might just be the case I think they probably discuss that way developers maybe because the steam sale itself you've got like discounts all across the board but I guess it's different it's it's different percentage discounts so yeah they probably have to agree but up front um, how much they're wanting to have got on there was a game that um, I actually can't remember the name of the developer but they made like a bootleg party pack thing where instead of Hotline Miami they had Hotline Milwaukee (laughs) they had these different like bootleg versions of their own games and that's discounted by a penny and it's full of all this kind of weird meta humour and like <laughs> shit like that. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah. But I mean, you been up to much, uh, kinda gaming wise yourself? Um not so much. We've we've had a few different ideas for episodes and I've just been playing a kinda wide um kind of wide variety of things because of that. Yeah. Um shortly after um our discussing Gregory Horror Show. Just been kind of going through a few indie games that we we both um, we both enjoyed and kind of replaying them. And I replayed the uh, Doki Doki Literature Club before um, starting this episode, but I don't think we can particularly talk about that one. I don't like I don't like talking about that. I like just telling people to play it, and then yeah. when they've played the first twenty minutes and they text you, what? Why are you making me play this? You go, keep trust me, <laughs> keep keep playing it. Like we yeah. had. <laughs> We had like a weird kind of um, secret society going on where the group like, chat where it was just like a, a load of lads talking about what there was guys in that I didn't know like <laughs> we were just talking about Doty Doty Literature Club all the time like yeah it was it was basically just like you you play it you're amazed by it you you convince somebody else to play it and then once they finished it they join the group and then they convince other people to start playing it so um, on the news recently Bernie has come out as pro gamer. <laughs> yeah, 
vote for Bernie. That's I mean, you don't need to know anything else about his well, policy. He's, he's, <laughs> well, um, was this, he's, he's pro uh, game developer unionisation. He's he back unionisation of the games industry. Do we, you don't need to talk heavily on the politics side of things. I'm just wondering if you were going to recommend Bernie Sanders a video game, what would you get to play? Um, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, Maybe um, well, he's he's heavily against foreign intervention. I'd maybe give him something quite peaceful, like Stardew Valley. Oh, um, or Undertale. Yeah. And go here again. Like we can tick our check mark of having mentioned Toby Fox in an episode, <laughs> which I do every time. Achievement but, uh, unlocked. So, so you're saying I don't have to attack the monsters? And you're like Bernie. You can solve everything with peace. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's an extended bit we could do. <laughs> Unless he's like Bernie and uh, Bernie Gandhi and Civilization, where well, um, he's actually incredibly violent in video games. Yeah, I fuck it then. Yeah, I recommend them Doom. <laughs> um, but like from a from a purely sort of um, pragmatic point of view, like. I don't think you want your games to be made by people who are constantly working 16-hour shifts, weekends, staying over at the office, like, you know, alienating their, their family. Like, the product ever, is going to suffer. Do you ever look at that? It's like a it's like a video game slant version of The Onion. The Hard Times, I yeah. think it's going to be called. They had this thing where it was like CD Project Red or whatever, <laughs> um, rewards workers on Cyberpunk uh, 2077. Um, for a successful E3 with a 12 hour working day for, <laughs> for a week like, or something like that it's like, yeah. Yeah. and the fact that you're um, well, we, we talked a while ago about Telltale going under like that's the, their workers have not been properly compensated for no, that no of course not Like, in, it sucks when you like uh, a friend of ours who I won't name <laughs> because I don't, and I won't name the animation studio or anything. I don't want it to seem rabble rousy, but he's going to know who he is because he does listen. Works in animation, and they have a lot of the same problems. I imagine the games industry do, crunch. where it's like crunch and um, working towards these monstrous deadlines, and also like, what the fuck do you want to join a union for? We're pals. Like, wait, free pizza Wednesdays. Like, <laughs> do you forget about that? That I. Well, we like we watch the same shows. Like. <laughs> the thing you get, I think, in creative industries, I'm not sure if there's a, a name for it, but I'm, I'm going to call it like dream job syndrome. Like working in games or working in film or um, animation, that sort of thing, is something that is the sort of job that you say when you're a little kid um, that you want to do when you grow up. It's your it's your dream, and the employers know that, and they know that they can get away with perhaps underpaying you. Um, or making you work long hours because they're like, well, what are you complain about? Like, you're doing your dream job. So that gets taken advantage of, and I think um, people are less likely to speak up because they know that if they don't want to do the job, there's like 20 graduates just waiting in the wings to, to do it. And there's something endemic in certain industries as well. Like, you were talking about programming before and yeah. how, like, things like mandatory overtime, it's just like, no, you work until the, you've got the deadline, you know about the deadline, just do it, like, yeah. You sign, you sign the contract and there's a stipulation in it, it's like you're kind of waiving your rights to, to paid overtime and usually the, um, things like the European Working Time Directive and stuff like yeah. that, it's just kind of... They try to get you to tick a box when you apply for temp agencies now that says that you waive that and, yeah, is don't tick that box, dear listener, do a, not tick that temp? box. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what yeah. You, you're not getting anything about that. No. <laughs> Well, they, they tell you, you know, if you're going on holiday or something, it might, 
like limit how much overtime you can do. Yeah. So what if you really had to save up and we're not saying that you have to work sixty hour weeks, like you know that this is the kind of way that they phrase it. Like, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, this um, I know like take Andy Mack out of the equation for a second, and we've been talking about unions for five minutes. <laughs> um, you would have intervened quite quickly in that. Yeah. But um, that, I mean, we should probably just admit that the one of the reasons for recording these podcasts is because Andy has a, a, a he's playing um, the most rewarding escort mission of all, which is raising a Father, young child, fatherhood <laughs> slash yeah, motherhood, whatever. Like, so yeah. he's not always get time to um, commit to podcasts every fortnight. But um, yeah, we'll keep the listeners um, that are hungry for more episodes. Um, we'll, we'll keep them fed. I can't remember if I was talking on the. Well, full disclosure, we did record an episode yesterday. It's a proper episode. Um, which is why when I said what you've been up to was met with silence because it's like, what, since, <laughs> it's, it's been since less, yesterday? It's been less than 24 hours. <laughs> well, we yeah. watched the Scotland game at the pub and then we had a pint and went home. Like, yeah. Um, no, uh, that, that's a game that's had a, a few um, controversial patches in the past <laughs> few years <laughs> with VAR. Yeah, Scotland got fucking nerfed somewhere anyway <laughs> in terms of international football. But um, I've been playing Fran Bo. Um, I, I, think I, I think I maybe missed... What was it? Was it... Um, discounted for 24 hours yeah again now that you've said that about how much money goes to indie developers <laughs> I feel quite, feel quite guilty <laughs> I got it for £2.50 I uh, right here's here's a, a moment of profound stupidity I'm willing to admit <laughs> to you I thought for some reason I looked at the graphic on the title page which is a creepy looking wee girl like a Coraline sort of thing holding yeah. a black cat and I looked at the name Fran Bow. And I thought it was a puzzle game involving a bow and arrow. <laughs> I didn't look at any of the in-game artwork or a trailer or anything. I thought that's what it was about. And I was like, I don't like the sounds of that. Um, and then I was watching this YouTuber. It's a lassie called Pushing Up Roses, who covers a lot of those old LucasArts and Sierra Adventure oh, cool. games. She was talking about Fran Bow, And I was like, all right. And then I saw it was a point and click adventure game and was like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, I'm just going to switch this video off and download it. Um, <laughs> but it's... I think that it's they're portraying schizophrenia um, yeah. and I won't talk about it too much because we'll probably do one of these on it if you end up playing it and liking yeah. it but um, super dark and creepy so far but like charmingly so um, so I've been playing a lot of that yeah I'm trying I'm try to think because there's been this kind of adventure like point and click adventure revival um, Dimbleweed Park is banging I've not like, played that one I think that's the one that's probably most up my street because it's obviously got a lot of the same um, personnel from well, they, Monkey they, Island games they got the fucking back together didn't they it's yeah. Ron Gilbert and like the, the those old guys like so I think it's literally like if Maniac Mansion was designed by two guys like those yeah. two guys definitely worked on it like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, but yeah that's pretty it's, amazing it's great well let's just talk about these our, our two games for this I don't want to say mini sold that's so stupid <laughs> just call it episodes just an episode don't put yourself right. down right I thought we'd start off with talking about Slay the Spire well actually are we going to do this we should have hashed these things out um, beforehand <laughs> but do you want to do an explanation of what one game is and I'll do an explanation of the other yeah I'll kind of um, explain Slay the Spire go for it so this is a, a game I don't really want to kind of pigeonhole it into, into one genre but it's got kind of elements of a roguelike elements of a, um, a sort of deck building card game so essentially what you get is you have a choice of three characters and each of these characters starts off you, you have a, a deck of cards essentially you start off with about 10 or so 
cards and these represent like your abilities um, your meat and potatoes are kind of uh, attack and defense cards and what you're doing is you're effectively just you're going through a series of like role-playing game style battles um, with the aim of um, defeating enemies and um, eventually defeating the kind of um, a, a final boss at the end of is it three or four acts? I can't, I can't get past the third one, so I don't know. I think there are. I think it's maybe only three floors in a dungeon. All right, okay. Um, yeah. But, so you fight um, kind of enemies in a kind of um, JRPG sort of style, and you always know what the enemy is going to do next turn. It will appear as a little icon above their head, whether they're going to defend or if they're going to attack um, and if they're going to attack it tells you exactly how much damage they're going to do and the reason for that is every time you play a, a block card um, there'll be a little number saying how much damage it blocks and you, if you have blocked, if an enemy's going to attack you for 15 damage and you have 15 block it won't do any damage to you at all, you won't lose any HP so you have to, you're aiming to kind of for each turn essentially lose as little HP as possible because it's quite difficult to get back and you do this with, um, with cards you get attack cards and defense cards and every time you defeat an enemy you, you win another card so you effectively you're trying to build a, a deck um, of, of cards that have kind of synergies with each other that kind of work well with each other and suit a certain play style so like Mick was um, we were talking on the episode about the Pokemon trading card game, Mick was saying his favourite part of that was building a really powerful deck. And yeah. this is this is the game effectively. Like every run of the game, you're you're building a deck. And the, I think the the main kind of fun comes with from like finding things that work well together and that complement each other and let you become like incredibly overpowered. It's, it seems really hard at first, but once you the the roguelike element being once you die you don't keep any of your shit from a previous like from from the run that you've just done yeah. so you don't get all those good cards that you picked up you start from the first floor again effectively so initially i was just taking every card that i could and then hoping good ones came up when the deck got shuffled or whatever but um with experiment with a couple of different play styles so there are three different character classes in the game the version i played was mostly just Two like the the new ones about a recent edition. Okay, uh, so um, I've forgotten is does the Ironborn the the Ironclad, the Ironclad, um, the Silent, the Silent, and, and then, the Construct. Yeah, he's a he's a robot. Yeah, so you there's a few kind of playstyles that that I've found that are kind of that can work quite well when you're like because the it's really satisfying when you when you get a new card and you're like oh this could actually work really well with with some other ones so like the ironborn for example is quite um defense focused he by default he regains hp after every battle and he has a lot of cards which um can give kind of powerful blocks and he also um has attacks that weaken the enemy so it causes them to do less damage um, and also hurts them so you've got um you can build up quite a strong deck with him where you you're kind of starting every round with um with some block for free, um you kind of you can play a card a shield card that will give you some block. You'll play a card that doubles the amount of block that you have on you, he, and you can also at some points convert that into damage. He gets these cards that 
double and triple his strength and you can fuck around with all kinds of multipliers because you can stack them. Yeah, there's one that transfers all of your block into like extra attack and things like that. So the only way I figured out how to beat the game was actually using him and just stacking my deck full of all these ridiculous buff cards. So, so you're an impossible to hurt, impossible to damage. Yeah. But you can either you can you can choose if you want between being having really aggressive a really aggressive deck which where you amp up your strength and you can one shot enemies or a really defensive one where you're kind of impervious to damage. I, I never play games defensively like it's the Rangers way. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm all, I'm all about the 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 offense the attack. Like, it's kind of it's kind of satisfying in this because it's like um you're building up your block but you um you lose that block at the end of a, a turn so you don't want you you don't want to go like over you want to try and get as close to how much damage you're getting so that you can use um, your energy to, to do other things on a turn as well. But there is one card you can get as the um, as the Ironclad where you you keep your block. If Once you play that card then for the rest of the match you keep the block that you've um, That card was got. overpowered I yeah. think. Like, so uh, I did really well when I, when I had that one because you can just you can go over and then the next turn you start off with a bit and then you're um, yeah you're effectively impossible to damage. The Ironclad character I found a lot less interesting than the Silent. The Silent's this weird kinda assassin looking woman that wears like this big robe and has like this kind of skeletal plague doctor mask on. Mm -hmm. So as like a kind of assassin type, she's a lot about her cards are all about backstabbing um, and also doing poison damage. Yeah, the um, silent was my favourite character. I've done I've done well with the silent. Um and the there's a couple of strategies you can do. So each card that you have you, you get by default you get three energy um, every turn. So you can only play cards that add up to three energy in every turn. You can get um, power-ups called relics that might give you more or you can some other abilities award you energy but one of the ways you can focus the silence deck is you get certain cards that add um, or when you play them you get some shivs added to your card and a shiv is a, a like a dagger and it's, it's free you don't have to spend an energy yeah, point for it it's, yeah, it's, it's free. Only, it does very little damage it does little damage but you can kind of construct your deck in a way that it's constantly adding more and more of these shivs so you're doing lots and lots of dam you're doing lots of damage small amounts of damage very frequently death by a thousand cuts yeah. which I think there is literally a card in the silence deck called death by a thousand yeah. cuts and because of all these kind of synergies you might have a deck that like you might have a card that does something special if you have more than a certain amount of shivs in your deck and the, the way I kind of like to play it with, with her is rather than focusing on that is focusing on poison poison damage was absolutely the way to go for the silent for me like um, the most successful deck once you figure out that the poison can actually stack like you can yeah. make it crazy so damage. the way poison works in this is if there's an ability that inflicts 10 poison on an enemy it will inflict 10 poison this turn then next turn it will inflict sorry it will inflict 10 damage this turn next turn it will inflict 9 next turn it will inflict 8 so yeah, poison stacks so you can hit an enemy with poison a number of times, and then they'll keep getting kind of they'll keep getting damage as the fight goes on. So you don't have to attack them directly; they'll eventually die. But the the main way that I played with them is trying to find cards that can double or triple the amount of poison that uh, an enemy has. So if you hit them with a lot of poison, um, so they get twenty poison, for example. You double that to forty. You you triple that to one hundred and twenty. Then they're getting like one hundred and twenty damage every turn and dying quite quickly. I basically could not figure out any other way to beat the bosses as the silent other than yeah, doing that. Like. That's that's what I did. And as well as like instead of she's not that 
defensive but has um, a carpal neutralize which is free and that um, weakens the enemy's attack so instead of building up your block you can effectively like weaken the enemy so their attacks do nothing um, which is a kind of yeah, interesting sort of um, like difference with the, with the other class so less on the kind of hard RPG mechanics the fucking maths um, what do you find you like about the game like what? why does it tick boxes for you I just it's, it's one of those ones where it's like the kind of civilization effect where it's like I'll just play one more turn and then before you know it it's like your, your alarm's going off for work the next day yeah um, it's, it's yeah it's addictive in that sense and um, yeah you, you go through a run and you die and you're like I think I know where I went wrong there. I think I know how I could do better. So you want to immediately jump back in and kind of like refine your run, kind of get better at the game. It's similar in in a way to um, the Pokemon game we talked about the other day. It's, it takes some elements of an RPGs, but there's not there's not grinding. It's all about um, skill essentially. Well, your your talent at the game, like knowing um, knowing when to take cards and when to not take you to, cards. You have to learn knowing, the game to, in yeah, order to beat it. Like. So you always feel like you're you're getting better at it and there's some of these kind of more modern roguelikes like um, so the original roguelikes were pure dungeon crawlers like when you died you were right back to the start you hadn't gained anything and some of the more modern ones are a bit more forgiving like things like Rogue Legacy um, you every time you do a run of that you may be able to purchase and you die you might be able to purchase an upgrade that makes life a bit easier for yourself so it's kind of it kind of takes away from that element element of mastery because you can kind of grind your way past yeah. the problem a little bit but with this one the only thing you unlock or multiple playthroughs is just like more more options more things that might show up yeah um, like if anything the challenge increases maybe yeah. a little bit like. <laughs> but yeah I like the, the, the structure I like that you the end's always in sight as well. Like you're not, um, you always feel like your victory was kind of within your grasp. I think a lot of the time. I am. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, in fact, actually, I'm not going to talk about the ending because that defeats the purpose of a recommendation show. <laughs> um, the ending's very interesting. Ah. Um, I've kind of thought a little bit about what it means. Um, well, I've not raced it yet, so we can really talk about that in a later date. Without going too much into it or going into it at all, it appears to be weirdly collaborative in some way huh. like that all the different players that have completed it are doing something together ah okay so but like uh, I'm not really sure what that thing is or what <laughs> it means yet yeah but it, maybe once you know a certain condition is fulfilled we'll find that out <laughs> which would, would also be really cool yeah it's got a, the, the setting and atmosphere are quite um, are quite cool like there's, it's I would call it like I guess weird fantasy like it's not really it's not your kind of standard like knights in shining armour and goblins and things like that it's, it's everything's a little everything's a little bit bizarro world yeah like, so, some of the there, there there's an enemy you fight for instance where it's they're called like knight and healer or something like that. Yeah. And it's just this bog standard knight, and he's got like a little kind of mage lassie that heals him. But the knight looks more like the mountain out of Game of Thrones or something. He's like this hulking kind of monster zombie thing. Formed. And then the the little white mage that's healing him, she's like a little kind of demon looking thing as well. Like everything looks kind of sinister, including your character. Like I th I think it's, it's all the characters are kind of like 
the, you, you don't get much text in the game, but they're, they're all described as quite kind of like forsaken characters. I think the, the Ironclad is like did some sort of deal with an evil power. <laughs> I think you're in hell. There's there's not really a plot, but there's definitely some sort of underworld thing going on. Yeah, you try, try to climb like a, a tower. Yeah, there's not there's not much text at all in the game, and so the story is just kind of what you you interpret from the the graphics and the setting. There's little. There's little sequences like um, instead of battles, um, when you're going up this tower, you may um, you may get a shop where you can buy new cards or um, or relics, which are kind of um, bonuses that apply sort of universally to you. Or oh, you I forgot can, about the relics. Yeah, like yeah. The, you might you might get like a an extra life or something like that. I like there are, there are a few different ones. Like. Yeah, so you you really it's, it's really just more um, monster battles, um, the shop mystery the question mark things which are kind of like a little small choose your own adventure where you might have end up with different results depending on what you do and then there's like elite monsters and then there's bosses so that's really all there is there's not any point where you get a whole big story dump I, I think I just like roguelikes Some, something about that for me is that like um, as you were saying like I feel a little bit like Doc Brown you know with like <laughs> testing out time travel theories and being like alright oh, okay if I can just but mess with my calculations a bit. I'll get it this time. Like, yeah, like this this run's going to be the one. I'm going to do it this time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've played like a few um, things like the Binding of Isaac and Road Leg Road Legacy, which we talked about. A lot of that's get kind of um, it's action focused. Like this isn't action focused at all. But I get. I think I'm getting on with it a bit better than that because I'm maybe not that great at platformers or um, top down shooters. Yeah, I would say if you like card battles and you like roguelikes Give nerd, it a nerd shit yes yeah. <laughs> the, the, the proper nerd shit yeah um, if it, teletext simulator as Andy Mack likes to call it <laughs> um, it's got a creepy art style tunes are pretty good and it's addictive gameplay if you like those type of things I definitely oh we didn't even talk about the um, the the construct which you didn't really understand when last time I spoke I don't know if you have you I, got it now I glossed over the robot because embarrassingly don't know how to play him uh, so you can go into that a little bit if you want the robot um, so he has these little orbs he's like three slots for these orbs that float alongside him so you, certain cards that you play um, will fill one of those slots with an element and the elements Every every turn that you have them equipped, they'll do something. So like the lightning one will do damage to a random uh, a random enemy every turn. So you can you can keep them passive, or you can like activate them. In which case they do like they do something good. Like they do maybe the thunder must do more damage, but then they disappear. Can the bodies destroy your orbs? Uh, no, they can't. They just um, damage you. They, they damage the, the construct, the main kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but um, yeah, with with cards you can increase the number of slots you get, or you can. Um, exhaust one of them in exchange for something so it's you're, you're kind of doing damage indirectly but I'm still not very good at <laughs> going the robot I can, but, I can work, out, work them out but I do like robots <laughs> and um, I do like that all his um, all the names of his cards are called things like boot sequence and um, all computery type words <laughs> so he appealed to me in that sense I wonder if they ever ported it to mobiles because it uh, Seems like a, well, in fact, no. I was going to say I think they're possibly working on uh, a, like an Android and iOS version because because seen folk talking on the um, like the subreddit like, oh, when are we going to get a new character and I think it's, they're focusing on the mobile version. The folks can work on that before they start doing new characters. Ah. So the the other thing actually that's kind of jogged a wee thing in my kind of another thing that I like about it is that with these kind of games 
we touched on it a wee bit when we were talking about Mega Man X, where I was talking about uh, that or Super Meat Boy or something like that, where the controls are tight um, and you're going to fail a lot in these games by design, like almost like you're going to fail playing Slay the Spire or you are going to die after the first couple of battles probably on your first try, but uh, you never feel like the game has cheated you it's never the game's fault it's a learning experience you just have to fail again but learn more until you win like in this this in particular because it it gives you a lot of information like it you know exactly what each enemy is going to do before they they do it you know they know how much damage you're going to do or they know if, you know if they're going to inflict a status effect on you and then you can um you have to make sure that you're um, sort of neutralising that by the time your turn's over. So, like, baddies don't really pull a new power out of nowhere. Like, because you, you know what they're going to do, then you can you can predict for it. Yeah. So that's quite... That can be quite satisfying as well. You don't feel like it's ever pulling the rug out from under you. Yeah, it's like a puzzle almost, like, how to beat certain things. Yeah. Um, but there's very, there's very little randomness to it. Yeah. Other than the fact that it's a randomly generated map. Like, yeah, but well, within, within the battles... <laughs> within the battles, yeah, there's, there's no... Bullshit RNG that uh, that to, <laughs> to, to speak of, yeah. But yeah, unless you had anything else to add, um, no, not really. I'd recommend playing it. Um, yeah, as I say, if you like roguelikes, if you particularly if you like a card battler, um, I haven't found a, a kind of card. I, I'm not massive on them, but this as a kind of dip in your toe in the water. If it's something you think might interest you, I would say this is a good entry path. It's apparently inspired by the um, the kind of board game. Or cardboard game uh, Android Netrunner which is quite popular so maybe some listeners will know what it is I have it sitting in the house and um, keep trying to convince my girlfriend to play a game with me but we um, can never be asked doing it so in the context of that sentence <laughs> it's amazing you have a girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lucky uh, right well that's gonna I mean there's no segue there I'm just I'm just gonna talk about the next game Barrel right into I'm just gonna, Long Live the Queen Long Live the Queen listener I mean I'm, we'll make no bones about it here on Neddy I personally believe that the French the Bolsheviks um, these groups had the right idea with regards to monarchy Um <laughs> you introduce them to some sort of guillotine apparatus um, and get on with your life as a, a modern country. Um, so, so it's amazing what, how much you enjoyed the game, given that. Yes. Um, I almost turned it off because the first thing you hear when you turn the game on is a, a sort of midi rendition of God Save the Queen. <laughs> yep. The, um, the anthem of our hated colonial so oppressors. With a... An anime girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got to say the Queen point over. So, um, long live the Queen. This is really hack shit, but this time it's quite a, an apt descriptor where it's been called the Dark Souls of Dating Sims, <laughs> which things are always the Dark Souls of things, but like, so basically. It's also been called a Santa Stark simulator, so take from, oh, yeah. take, take from that what you will. So, you play as Princess Elodie. The game begins with your mother, the Queen, having been assassinated. You are. Oh! <laughs> you don't know she gets assassinated. You only find that out quite later. You just hear that she died. It's all Game of Thrones shit, though. Like, they're all killing they each other. They say that she used but... too much magic. Your dad tells you that she was a magic user and she um, she used magic and it sucked the life out of her, but you find out in one of the endings that that didn't happen. I skip the text sometimes, listeners. <laughs> um, so basically, you play as, play as Princess Elodie. Um, you are 14 and you're 
15th birthday is when you will become the queen, you'll become like the, the rightful ruler of the land. The game is all about keeping Princess Elodie alive until her 15th birthday. Alive uh, or um, her realm not being subjugated by a foreign power or her not being deposed or thrown in jail. A lot of unpleasant things can happen to yeah. you before you can be the queen. So it's... It's a time management simulator, really, to That's an extent. Like, it's, way to sell it. You, you have Elodie. She's kind of like a cyber pet. She's a bit like a Tamagotchi. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've got to keep her like in the right mood. Well, I, I'll get, we'll get into that. But like, um, so basically, the game has you playing week to week. Each week, you pick two different classes that you want her to study. So you could say. I want her to learn, like, study jogging for half the week, like running athletics for half the week, and animal husbandry for the other half of the week. Then at the end of the week, you get these little kind of in-game cutscene type things with all the text, where you can pick like, overly sort of um, yeah. Sentences. You, you pick your responses that you want in conversations and stuff, and then the game will throw up these skill checks. So maybe assassins will chase you, and if your run skill is too low, then. You know, you you get decapitated by bandits or something like that. Um, <laughs> there are a million different ways to die in it, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, as you were saying, we've got these different mood settings. Um, so the 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 one of the mechanics is that depending on what mood Elodie is in, she'll be more responsive to certain lessons. I, I'm I'm trying to think of an example. Well, um, if you are if you're lonely, then you do better at all of the animal companionship type stuff yeah if you so, want a little horse rider, riding or like being able to like know a bit about dogs and stuff but you'll not maybe be so good at like for example public court, speaking public speaking or like um, courtly manners things like that um, I kept making my princess too willful she was like she had this evil look in her face and she was always smirking and it makes her really good at like sword fighting and yeah. all of these kind of violent skills you choose, um, you, choose, you choose a thing that you you want to spend your your free time doing it may be going to visit your mum's um, like your mum's grave and that'll make you sad or it may be <laughs> yeah you can make, make her, her do things barracks which makes you willful things like that you can make her do things that fucking depress her willfully like yeah <laughs> go and walk around the graveyard like yeah <laughs> because I really want you to be good at horse riding so you wouldn't be in the right mood for it yeah um, Some of the abilities um, that you would think are um, are useless turn out to be quite important. <laughs> like, um, well, actually, weirdly, there is a thematic connection here because Long Live the Queen is also about trial and error. Yeah. Like, you are not living to coronation in your first playthrough <laughs> unless you're sitting with a guide open. Yeah, right? it can be a wee bit stressful because um, you... Every, every day there's only 40 days I think to um, from when 40, you 40 weeks yeah 40 weeks yes um, and to, from when you start until you get crowned if you make it that far um, so throughout each day there's like there's, there's tons of these little skill checks and it was like um or you get told there's a visitor from a foreign country coming because you don't know about, enough about world history, but like, oh, you failed your world history check, so you might not know a little bit about them. And then she makes so an arse of herself. And yeah. <laughs> so you're 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 failing you're failing things constantly. You're like, oh shit, I've, I've made a, I've made a mess of this game, but it's you learn. Um, you, you learn as, as you go that like you can kind of get away with not all of these things are that important like you might miss out in certain story branches but you can you can get through the game um, with, you, without having loads of skills you just need there's, 
once you figure it out, there's a few key ones that will kind of get you through. The um, there are certain events that happen like that. It's possible for you to be the monarch that introduces both the printing press and hospitals. <laughs> but like, if you if you don't have a medicine skill high enough, it's like your Majesty, a representative from the Red Cross, has arrived, and then he explains the concept of hospitals to you, and then you're like, why would we put all of the sick people in one building, sire? That would make them sicker. But if, you, if you've studied medicine, she goes, shit, yeah, let's let's do it. Like, yeah, there's a few there's. There's a few kind of paths uh, um, as well. Like one of the one of the main skill checks that will often get you is at some point um, you get a a gift of a box of chocolates, which turn out to be poisoned. But there's a lot there's um, a lot of different ways that you can you can spot that. Like if you if you know about poison, for example, then you know that the chocolates are poisoned. If you choose choose to spend your time studying things like trade and um, like sort of economics she'll notice a logo on the box and be like these don't come from the maxi region like yeah, yeah like so that. that'll put some alarm bells or like if you have a, a skill with dogs you'll notice that the dogs react strangely to the the chocolates um, do you know the the few people that I've recommended this game to and have have had them play it the and I think on my first playthrough as well, the the poison chocolates was the thing that killed me. Yeah, like, it's, it's quite common. Even, even though there's a lot of ways out of it, you can you can just have not quite got the focus to the end up dying on the chocolates. We, we he, there's kind of a character in it. There's a bit, a bit of a meme for us. <laughs> this guy called the Duke of Sedna. Yeah, I um, do quite like the Duke of Sedna. Actually, the last time I played it, I got married to the Duke of Sedna. I don't know if he was that much help in the end, but you know the the Duke of Sedna can help smooth over a political turmoil that can happen on one of the paths. Yeah. So the, the Duke of Sedna sends you a necklace and if you haven't got a high enough skill check to pass one in court manners, um, you don't realise that it's a marriage proposal. So you start wearing it and everybody thinks that you've got married to the Duke of Sedna. <laughs> and by the way, you're 15, not 14 and he's like an adult. Um, um, I guess you're betrothed. Yeah, you don't have to do anything, but... Um, <laughs> The, um, you can get into a war over some foreign province and you can threaten him by like flashing a necklace and going I'm the Duke of Sedna's wife <laughs> which once you know like, what it means the Duke of Sedna's a bad man but also um, if you, you're wearing it around and you don't realise the marriage proposal and then um, the Duke of Sedna will come and is like so you're wearing the necklace I take it you're going to get married and you're like oh is that what that was um, no I don't want to get married and he's like okay that's cool <laughs> so he's is sound enough. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the Duke of Sedna, I'm sure, is only doing it for political convenience. We're not yeah. hating on the Duke of Sedna. Of course. Yeah. Um, so this game, I've, I've never actually um, completed it uh, in this way, but there are equal male and female romantic partners in yeah. the game. The, the, the lesbian romances you have to do it as like a kind of a secret path almost. Like ah. It's not as obvious or like not encouraged. Like you, you have to the conditions to get a female romance are, obscure. are like they're, they're harder to like trigger than the the typical male ones okay. but only because you know you you get marriage proposals at various <laughs> different points of the game from different novels and that's been yeah that's probably quite an in interesting bit of social commentary because if it, if it is a kind of medieval Europe then that would have been very frowned upon so it would have been difficult the easiest path to coronation for me that I found was getting really in tight with your weird auntie who's kind of like a witch 
and unleashing the power of princess magic <laughs> and spending a lot of your time training up princess magic gives you a wee bit of a kind of dark like cruelty is actually a hidden personality factor I've, I've um, read about this in the wiki but I never actually experienced any of it cruelty doesn't actually affect her mood so you don't get better at fucking poison because she's more cruel it affects events that happen during the weekend yeah. and things that happen during the ending as well you know if the people if you were reviled by the people or <laughs> spend your weekend just like um you know fleeing cats things like that. I, I think it can um i think it can inspire a peasant revolt as well ah, but it's interesting you, I, I got right into the princess magic the first time i successfully completed it and i was like eviscerating people with my mind and stuff like that like <laughs> some kid ran up and challenged me to a duel because he said under my premiership like that his parents had died and then I, <laughs> I like I'm pretty sure I force choked him as like this little pink haired anime girl like, and yeah, there's, so many, like, there's so many different paths like through the game like it's kind of like divergent paths like you can go through the whole game without learning any magic and it's just a kind of straight up sort of um yeah, quite um, historical simulator, but yeah, your, your character can go in a lot of um, different, unusual directions, which is quite cool. You can defeat the final boss with uh, voice and instrument. The power, if, if you've the power of music. The power of music, it'll melt his icy heart. Do you, do you always end up fighting the, um, the kind of cliched GRPG evil magician king? He'll always show up. Um, I think... I, actually, I think it might be possible to so roundly decimate them during the war that he doesn't show up to the castle. Yes, I think it's if you lose the war, then he shows up. So if your skills and stuff like um, naval strategy and things like that, then you can actually like defeat him. I in I combat. I did a really fun playthrough where I focused on economics and trade. I did enough of the other kind of skills to get, you to get me through. So I learned about poison a little bit and yeah. things like that, but. I learned enough about the military tactics that, uh, excuse me, I ended up going on to a battleship and like commanding the fleet at the front line <laughs> and like. Um, I think I've got I've got to that bit as well, but I also didn't have much naval strategy, but I had magic, so I, I could burn the enemy fleet yeah. with magic. Um, but that can turn the tide of the war as well. That's a decision as well whether you want to like go and fight in the war or stay at home or whatever. Yeah, but which you'll probably choose based on what skills you have. Like if if you if you thought you could turn the tide of battle then you, you can choose to go to the war but you might you might not you might think you can beat um the baddie in a magical duel instead in right. which case you'll you wait i wonder am i a sadist <laughs> did you start did you at any point seeing how many different ways you can make her die uh, no, I'm not. I'm not really that much of a completionist with it. She, she can. It was more just because I was really interested. You can die in a lot of bizarre, different ways. There are a million events you can trigger in this. Like, see, from looking at the wiki, you could. There's also a way to have a secret romance with a commoner. <laughs> I don't. Cool. I've got no idea how you make that happen. So uh, I'm trying to think how I've died. I've been. I've been killed by bandits. By with an arrow to the heart, I've been poisoned by the chocolates. I I think I've fell off the roof at one point <laughs> trying to grab a, a scandalous um, poem. Some, somebody writes a, a poem about you that's like a naughty limerick, and I always just laugh it off though because yeah, it gets lost in a breeze, and you can try and get it from the, your ledge, and if you don't have a cliff, you fall to your death. <laughs> yeah, um, I've been. Um, there's one guy I can't mind who he's called, but if you make an arse of um, a couple of sort of um diplomatic disputes you go to this fancy ball and one of the nobles comes up to you and says like 
this person knows nothing. She's not fit to be queen. I'm basically going to take sort of regency, and um, she's going to like she's going to be deposed. And then all of the other nobles are like, I agree, I agree, and it's like, well, you're outvoted. So you sort of spend the rest of your days as a um, as a commoner. Uh, that's a game over condition I got killed in my sleep once um, <laughs> that's not very satisfying I d- but I didn't know how it happened either like I th- it must have just been during one of the random events if I sided with like one kingdom over another or I did all these different oh things. yeah like, so yeah there's a few things that kind of um, can come back to bite you there's like you can do the whole like Judge Solomon thing where you, you have to um, make a decision in various disputes and um, you can have yeah certain ways of doing that can leave no one happy I, I find it really addictive. Um, a visual novel slash dating sim is not the type of thing I thought I would ever play. But this kind of spin on it, um, as I said, I like how she's basically a Tamagotchi. You make her happy, you make her sad, you teach her horse riding, and then you just watch events unfold in front of her, really, based on how you've raised her. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I found something. I don't know if it's just me having a weird alien brain, just, like, something really clicks. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's... I think I'm kind of... Um, uh, I'm hesitant to maybe start trying to get into... Um, visual novels because I imagine there have been a lot of the particular type of anime nonsense that I don't like <laughs> and I, a lot of them I, I picked I, I got another one from the same developer and it was about a wizard school and I was like oh so this is going to be Harry Potter but you can die <laughs> but it was a Harry Potter anime rip off dating sim with yeah. none of the elements that I liked from one of them this was it's, it's described as a, a life simulator. I don't know if that's subtly different, but there's not a there's not there's a dating element, but it's kind of to the side. It's not the main focus of the game. Yeah, I tried playing that one. Um, Everlasting just, summer. Yeah, I just because um, I was on a just Wikipedia journey one day, and I was like, because um, I'd I'd heard someone talk about the um, a lot of. A lot of Russian people um, have a nostalgia for the Soviet Union. They do a poll every year, and um, it's, there's always it's always above fifty percent of people saying that they actually preferred it under the Soviet Union. So I was interested in this topic and I wanted to find out more about it. But one of the see also is in Wikipedia was a, a dating sim called Everlasting Summer, and you play as a um, a young I guess like a neat in um, in modern day Moscow, and he's um, he's just he's not really getting any prospects in life. Spends all his time on 4chan um, and like he's not got a job, he's not getting friends. He finds himself teleported to this sort of ancient, not ancient, like um, to back in time to the Soviet Union to like a, a kind of summer camp for to train young communists. So I thought this was a really interesting theme, but the game I thought it might talk a bit about how people um, under sort of um, this like hyper capitalism feel a bit alienated and want to go back to a, a simpler time where there's a bit more camaraderie. The game doesn't explore that theme. That wasn't dramatic at, at all. It's yeah. just you're just kind of dating um, some young Russian girls that have um, you know, just fall into the, your various anime character archetypes. Amazingly, yeah. I went down the same rabbit hole. <laughs> I thought you might. I, I went from. I think I might have even seen that it was in your Steam library as well at some point. But like, I went from reading about like Brezhnev and then ended up playing Everlasting Summer. But yeah, there wasn't any. You know what? Like. E- uh, this is going to sound dark, but like even a collective farming simulator would be kind of cool if you did it in the right <laughs> way. Like you know, Harvest Moon, but with commissars. Oh, um, that, that, I've, I've had the very, the very same idea. That this isn't one of my. Um, that this isn't. Well, we'll, we'll talk about this later. But um, I had an, an idea for a game which is the mod of Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley is the kind of farming simulator 
where you start off. Um, I think that mod exists, by the way. I think I seen that on the leftist gamer page. I thought, that I, follow. I, I, thought I dreamt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my, my idea was in, instead of inheriting this farm from your your granddad that's di- in disrepair, um, and bringing it back to its glory. My idea would be that you were kind of nobleman who had loads of serfs working on his farm, and then um, the the revolutionaries um, deposed you and collectivized the farm. Uh, but after spending some time in the gulag, you would come back and like they've not really get the expertise, so it has fallen and disappeared, and you have to bring it back. So that was my that was my Soviet farm simulator. By working alongside the people. And, yeah, uh, not being the boss. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, well, I, I, as I said, we long live the Queen. You can also get overthrown in a peasant's uprising. Um, I've never managed to trigger that one, but I would quite like to see what happens. So maybe have a go Just at that. Just be like inordinately cruel. Um, so de- it's a, do you know what? I would go as far as saying it's a strong recommendation from me. If you don't mind a lot of reading and you're open to the idea of playing something weird, stick it on your wish list and you know pick it up. Like it's well worth a bash um, for me it took me a bit of a while to get into because as I was saying like I'm, I'm playing through it and getting all these like you have failed a skill I'm, I'm, I'm assuming like, I, I introduced you to it yeah, uh, yeah and I was like oh god I don't know what I'm doing but yeah I kind of realised that once you have a kind of once you have one path then you've kind of figured out one easy path through the game you can start experimenting a bit you can start doing oh, what if I did this or what if I went down this and you can, it's, there's all different rabbit holes to explore so yeah it's fun well right there you go so Slay the Spire and Long Live the Queen gave them both a bash uh, and fuck the Queen <laughs>